0: Welcome to Create with Trip Elix Hey, it's me. This conversation with Neil Perry Gordon is episode number 12. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation as much as I did having it with Neil.
1: I am a novelist, and I have a new book coming out, um, like, the next couple of days being released. Oh, super. My fifth novel. Uh- released.
0: Oh, super! Even better. Yeah. You so you've been doing this a long time, and you've created a uh, a fan base that you retouch, and you're just trying to increase your fan base.
1: It's all about creating awareness. And yeah. Out there, I mean, that's the whole goal. Um, you know, being an author, you know, being a book writer, you have to be a bookseller. So you know, have to get out and tell your tale. You know, it's all about communicating. So I have to communicate my story, and I have to communicate. The idea of my story. So, you know, it's, it's right out there.
0: Well, how about you? Um, what drove you to write in the first place? And um, how long ago did you start?
1: Well, this is my fifth novel coming out. I started writing fiction in 2017. Um, so, it's only been three years. Um, I was a nonfiction writer before that. Um, so I just delved in into re- relatively uh, recent and I've just been on a, you know, on a tear ever since.
0: Oh, okay. What kind of non, what did you do write in nonfiction?
1: Business. I wrote uh, a lot of business articles and trade magazines uh, for the design, interior design uh, industry.
0: Oh, okay, cool. I yeah. have some, I have some writer friends that are, you know, write columns for uh, local distribution and, uh, I live in New England, so local distribution is um, decent size compared to other places.
1: Yeah, I'm in New York.
0: Oh, you're in New York.
1: Yeah, well, New Jersey, but New York. Yeah,
0: okay. I'm in Connecticut, so yeah, yeah same thing. Same. Uh, it, when you get away from the collective New Englandish, uh, the population drops by tons. I know,
1: my, son, <laughs> my son lives in Vermont on a farm, so. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it's like.
0: Yeah, so um uh, what kind what genre of fiction do you write? Historical fiction. Historical fiction. Okay, so you create a and based around what area of history any particular one that you concentrate on or all over?
1: Um well, it's uh, most of my books so far have all been the early 19th 1900s 20th century. Uh and one book is uh, much earlier in the 1670s, um, but all historical fiction.
0: Did you, uh, did you touch on any of the earlier pandemic stuff just because we're in one now? No,
1: but I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> yeah. Factual. Thinking about, you know, maybe a book on that. A lot of my writing is around this time period as well, that are, are some of my books, um, but I don't touch in any of the, uh, of the pandemic. That's why I'm thinking of going back now and and uh focusing on uh on historical fiction during that with that as a backdrop. So what
0: um so what drove you to re to I mean you've created by now having five you've created a fan base but what got you into rewriting history as a
1: um well I'm not rewriting it I'm using history as a backdrop to my stories. Um you know I, I like using um, history, historical events, because it creates a lot of color for my, and conflict for my characters. So sure, um, you know, I, that's, that, that always makes me uh, work in a nice creative way. I could try to uh, build a story around, around uh, events that have passed us by. Um, so you know, the early 1900s has always been a, a, a good uh, connection for me for some particular reason. My first book, A Kalbist's Tale, begins there. It's a Jewish immigration story. And the book is based, is based on my um, great-grandparents. So I started with them uh, and their story. Uh, and that's probably why that got me hooked there. And um, my latest story is Hope City, which is coming out um, in a couple of days. Um, it's about, it's 1898, and it takes place in a, in a mining town in Alaska. Wow. During, during the gold rush. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm at today with, with, with my stories, so, uh, which is a fabulous time to be writing about. You know, all the, all the major gold rush uh, times were all full of conflict, just like, you know, World War I, World War II. That's where we get great novels from those time periods because of great conflict. Um, the gold rush, the, the, the gold rush of California, Gold Rush in 1949, the 49ers, the Klondike, uh, 1897, 1898, uh, in the Yukon. Uh, In Dawson City, 30,000 people descended on a place that only natives lived before. Um, Then Hope and Sunrise uh, off the Cook Inlet in in Anchorage in 1898, which is Hope City. And then my newest book I'm writing now, which won't be out for a couple months yet, uh, takes place in Nome two years later in 1900 during the gold rush in Nome, Alaska, where famous characters like Wyatt Earp ended up um, owning the Dexter Saloon and uh, making uh, his glorious appearance there. So uh, I loved tr- learning and researching at that time. You know, one thing you mentioned about the pandemic, the Spanish flu, um, 1918, and why it interests me. And it's int- of course, the backdrop of the story is, is you know, the, the major events are interesting, but the subtleties are also interesting because today, like when you go out and you go shopping, you go grocery shopping, we're all wearing masks. And all you can see are people's eyes. Uh, and I'm imagining this was the same emotional experience we had back then: people wearing masks, people being quarantined, people being afraid. Um, we all having the same experiences, and so I'm feeling that I could use what I'm learning now through what's going on, living in the, you know, the hotbed of all this, um, and experiencing that same fear by just by going to the grocery store, and all those health workers who are so brave, and you know, the grocery store workers who are there. Um, There was also, you know, a lot of brave people in the front lines back then in 1918 as well. So I'm learning a lot from this current circumstance that maybe I could use to to write the story about the Spanish flu, And and that that won't be till next year, though. But um,
0: well, I don't know who made up the uh, came up with the idea of the isolation thing. Um, That wasn't I've read a whole bunch of the virus stuff and, you know, preparing for the pandemic. There's not a mention of that in any of the writing that I ever read.
1: Well, Florence Nightingale was the one who really came up with, you know, separating people with disease. You know, they, that's.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, is an answer to this because in 1914, there wasn't really any, there wasn't social distancing. It was well, either we're... people got sick or they didn't.
1: Well, during the pandemic, during when it came out in 1918, um, there's, there's two stories, one about Philadelphia and one about St. Louis during the height of it. Phil, there was, I think it was either Memorial Day or Labor Day that we're going to have a parade and the city decided to open up the city, have the parade and everybody came. And in St. Louis, they decided to close the city down to, mi- try, to try to mitigate it. Um, and the result was what you would expect. Lots of people died in Philadelphia because they opened up the city and in St. Louis, people were spared um not well the the different than it today.
0: yeah well the the thing is actually the the separation thing china started doing it long before the u.s and so did italy and uh, the uk and germany sweden decided not to as we all know um but anyway the um getting back to you i'd rather be talking about you my friend. <laughs> so you look for areas of conflict um, and you used to write for trade mags. Mm-hmm. So the writing thing is relatively easy for you. Have you, you're going through an agent and doing this through regular um, traditional publishing methods
1: no i'm 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 taking that road now um in the process of looking for an agent um up until this point everything has been self published on my own um so that's an education in and of itself but i'm ready to take that next step um and um i'm actively pursuing an agent right now
0: have you ever uh listened to uh uh the person that's on she has a a blog and she does video casts out of the uk uh, she goes by the name of Joanna Penn.
1: Yeah, of course. I listen to her all the time.
0: Yeah. She uh, she talks about using traditional publishing and the bump that it gave her.
1: And yeah, she course. ended
0: up going back on her own afterwards.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know her story. Um, I do listen to her podcasts. Yeah, she's interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of people. Who, you, you, there's nothing wrong with going the independent route, and I've been doing that now for, for several years. Um but i think i want to try this this the, the traditional route now and see what no does.
0: i i think that's great that you can that you have that flexibility and i'm not saying one thing or the other about it my favorite by the way there's two favorite stories and one of them i don't know how it ends yet of the self-publishing versus using the the machine of course Uh, We all know about Dickens um, and his self-published novel ended up propelling him into traditional publishing. But there was a kid out of the UK that is currently in the pop charts named Ed Sheehan.
1: Yes, of course.
0: You should watch him because he's under, he came to the United States with uh, media lies. So I'm not really sure, but it's, somewhere around 25,000 or 50,000 email addresses and pieces of contact in a notebook. That's when he came to the U S to make his deal because he had been keeping track of his fans the entire time. So it opened the door for him and they, you know, anytime you can prove that you can sell.
1: Exactly. Right. But I I figured, right. That's why I'm also, I'm going with the ability of knowing that I could market myself too, because a publisher wants to know that not only can you write, but can you sell your book as too? Sure, to do both. So I built up an email list. I, I have a wonderful website. I have a wonderful blog. Um, it's full of lots of contact. Looks very professional. I send out newsletters uh, twice a month to my fan base. So,
0: um, oh, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. So I do all that type of stuff. I just sent out a press release uh, for my new book. Went out yesterday to all the media. Um, But today, you know, you could do all those type of things. You know, all those tools are at your fingertips. um, Sure, which they weren't before. But I don't know. I'm curious about the traditional publishing route and seeing if they could take me to the next level.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there are some that certainly can do that still in existence. Um, One, one that you might want to reach out to that I've, I actually know some people that work there is um, Greenleaf out in. Uh, Austin, Texas. Publisher? Yeah, they're a publisher. Scott Greenleaf sold the company. He used to be behind it, but he's uh, one of the media, uh, the talking heads on CNBC, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, But what he did was he went to the airports and wrote the contract for all the air... For the airport displays at the bookstores, so if you want your book in a bookstore, um, airport, yeah, yeah, you pay per week for the book to be there. Wow. Um, it's a it's a method of advertising. Wow. Well, right now it would be a dip, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, he's the one that kind of invented that, um, and his group uh, is still very active. Um, they're an a la carte, um, big player type. Like they do everything from ghostwriting to publication.
1: Well, I'll check them out.
0: Along with legal and uh, all the pieces.
1: I will reach out to Greenleaf Publishing.
0: Yeah. And when you do, me- you, you can mention me. I'm not kidding. Okay. I um, they probably would remember me. Okay. So. Uh, so your latest book that you're releasing, what, what is it timed around? And why don't you give me some of that?
1: Hope City, 1898, during the gold rush in Alaska. Uh, it's a story of uh, two boys, two teenage boys, 17 years old, in San Francisco. And they're going to go, on, uh, as they graduate college, they're going to go up to and uh, spend the summer in um, in Alaska, and uh, it's a trip down the rabbit hole during this prospecting time of this gold rush in in Hope, uh, Alaska. Hope City, Alaska. There was two cities. There was Hope and Sunrise, both next to each other. Hope was like was the good city. It was the was the chaste city, the one with the church um, that didn't allow alcohol. It was a dry city. Where sunrise was the so-called the bad sister and had the saloons and you know the hookers, the wh- the whores, and the gambling and the drinking and the carousing. So I have the two different cities that you know you go back and forth between. Uh, you know, of course, you have the you know, the righteous and, and the uh, the unrighteous ones, uh, and it's this this, this story uh, that takes place. Um, and he he sort of gets himself involved. My main character he gets himself involved with all sorts of strange and wonderful events and. We have indigenous characters, we have shamans in, in the story. Uh, there is the, I have a the theme of the seven deadly sins that of, from Catholicism sort of carries throughout. Um, I even touch upon an ancient Norse religion called Asatru uh, there as well, uh, which they, they do some sacrificing of animals um, in the story. So it's a wonderful tale. It, um, and uh, it's going to be. Uh, I'm anxious to see what sort of response I get once it gets out there.
0: Well, that's really cool. You. Um, so you have you ever visited the? I know that you. You're talking about hundred years ago, but have you ever gone to the places as they currently are?
1: I go to Hope every summer for the past twelve years. Oh, so I see. I know it well, and I wrote this. Um, there was this, there's this um, tale this, that uh, the name of Hope was named by uh, a man, a boy coming off a ship named Percy Hope. Uh, he stepped on, this, on the shores line, and when someone says the next person stepping off that boat, we're going to name our town after him, and it was Percy Hope, and therefore you have the name Hope. So this is a story of Percy Hope, basically. So I took that germ of an idea that I heard last summer and turned it into a novel. And this is the story of this 17-year-old boy. Uh, his real name is not Percy Hope. He uses it as an alias, and he sort of gets himself, you know, involved in these, all these different lies and such. Um, but the town still exists today, still called Hope, a former mining town. Sunrise is gone. It's, it's been abandoned. But you can go there and see some of the relics, you see a cemetery that still exists. Um, but back in the day, in 1898, there was 8,000 people in Hope and Sunrise. It was the largest population in all of Alaska for that brief summer.
0: I How far up into Alaska is it? Because I don't know, I've never heard of that city, so, yeah. and it's okay, I mean.
1: Well, it, um, it's not far from Anchorage. Okay. So when you go up from the Gulf of Alaska, you go into Cook Inlet. At right. Cook Inlet, there's Anchorage. And off to the side, to the uh, east, is what's called Turnigan Arm, which is an inlet. And down this arm, this little sliver of a, a waterway, is Hope and Sunrise. Oh, okay. And that's where it's located. So it's about an hour, two hour drive from Anchorage.
0: I met a woman that lived in, uh, actually, she was a pretty woman that uh, worked, lived in Alaska because I think she was hiding from somebody and she was living in Alaska. And I I said, you must have, uh," I made a joke to her and I said something about like, you know, this is so many men and so... few females, and she said, yeah, but trying to find a man with a full set of teeth is difficult. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you get that type in Alaska for sure, but, you know, it's, it's a wonderful, I have a lot of good friends up there, um, yeah. I stay with them and go up, so it's a wonderful place, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I communicate with somebody on Twitter that I met from there um, that lives, Juneau, Juniper
1: yeah, or yeah. something? Juno is the capital. Juneau.
0: Yeah. He lives I think he lives, that's where he lives or near it. Um so how do you um do you do any things on social media or are you just doing your direct contact?
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. So I, I do promote myself there. Um I use those just to reach out to people as well. Yeah,
0: I don't have much luck. I don't have any luck with uh Facebook. I mean I have my friends on Facebook. I don't really do anything on the platform.
1: Yeah, I have a, I have an author page. I know people do go to my website from there because I could see my my analytics of my website come right. from. So I do see my most of my hits come from Facebook.
0: Um, oh, okay. So
1: I guess you know it's wherever you put the effort in, I think is where you get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: I, I completely understand that. Completely understand. So when you go on uh, these things and uh, continue on. I mean, what could you say for encouragement for anybody that wants to follow your path as far as writing and self-producing and being successful in your own right?
1: Well, it's a process. It's a learning curve, you know, um, because I knew nothing going in. Um, so I had to teach myself a lot. I do have a good marketing background. Um, so that helped quite a bit in terms of getting myself up to speed on the marketing end of it. Um, so, you know, it's, you got to produce a product and you got to sell the product. So, you know, it's, that's what it is. Even though the product I'm producing is purely creative, I'm not, you know, no one said, I want you to write this book. I want it to be about this and I want, you know, all the details behind it. No one has told me that. Um, so I'm creating whatever I want to create. Then I'm saying, here world, are you interested in what I've created? Um, so that is a very unique way of doing things. Usually when you sell something, you know there's a market for it perhaps. You, like, for example, you know, in the interior design business, I'm making draperies for you. I'm going to show you fabric. I'm going to show you a nice drapery rod, design, how it's going to look on your window, and do something very specific. And we're going to have that conversation, the two of us. So I create it for you, I, I install it, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I love it. That's exactly what I wanted. Writing a book is nothing like that. You know, right. I got to create it, and then I got to say, okay, I got to communicate it. You know, you're interested in, in reading the story. So that's how I write, but I, I, I do find that people like what I, what I have to say. They enjoy my writing. They like the fact that I'm able to communicate my story to them. Um, you know, Today, you have lots and lots of media lots of distractions. You have to be able to attract a reader in a way that they don't want, they're not bored and put your book down. So you, I have short chapters. I have, my books are easy to read. They're engaging. Um, so you get that feel like you're watching a, a movie or a series on, T, on Netflix or something because you go, you go from scene to scene to scene quickly. Um, so people have remarked that they like, the it's easy to read. They like the short chapters. Um, so, you know, that's how I write. I'm um, trying to have people so they, they get engaged with what I have to say.
0: How did you end up in Jersey?
1: Well, I was born in the Bronx. Okay. Moved up. My parents moved up uh, with the big boom of moving to the suburbs in the 60s to Rockland County. Um, and I lived there for a long time at the school there. I spent 10 years in Florida in the 80s, then moved back up. I've always lived in New York. We just passed a couple of years, about three, four years ago, we moved down to Jersey, but just over the border. Sure. So it's, it's basically a, a, a mile south of the New York border.
0: I like the Bronx actually. I park there and it's really there are when it, Bronx, when people talk about the Bronx, they don't realize that there's a section of it that a good part of the Bronx, it's actually beautiful.
1: Yeah, the northern Bronx is beautiful. Y-
0: yeah, it, it really is. Um, I had a, I spent many, all over the, I've gone all over the north part of the Bronx. It's a really cool place. I actually park there and I take the train to Manhattan. Um oh, it's cheaper. Nice. I just get not train, I get on the subway, the A goes up there.
1: Oh, perfect.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a really cheap place to park, it's like ten bucks. Wow. Well, ten great. bucks for twelve hours. So <laughs> that's a bargain. That's Bronx. <laughs> So um, have you gone to any of the book events like the one that they used to have at Javits? I don't know if the convention stuff is going to come back. With the current level of par- paranoia, I can't see a convention's even existing at
1: well, this point. Well, maybe when, every, when the immunization comes out, then people will feel like they can go back to normal. But until that happens, we're going to be in a, you know, a different mode. Uh, yeah, and- I know. Ooh. But
0: the pr- the problem is that there is no... Viruses don't have any immunization. There isn't any.
1: Well, it'll sort of, once people get immunized and, or have the virus, there'll be some sort of dying down of this um, and we'll move on. We eventually, listen, the, the, the Spanish f- uh, flu eventually disappeared. No one had any drugs back then.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, it actually died completely out of society, all yeah. society in 1956
1: yeah so eventually this will this will disappear um I'm imagining that's what I'm hoping for of course um I don't think I'll ever get myself immunized personally because i don't don't trust them putting that into my body um, yeah. most people will
0: <laughs> I, yeah yeah well, you know the uh
1: yeah i don't I don't get flu shots i think probably can imagine
0: <laughs> well you look like you look like you're probably the same age group that I am so uh, that's that's why you didn't hear about it. It didn't exist.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not one for for flu shots. So, have
0: you ever gone to any of the the book things, like the thing that was at Java?
1: Yeah, BookCon. Yeah, I've been. I've been to those. Yeah, it's a madhouse. What's amazing is you think that people don't read, and then you go to those book cons and like, wow, a lot of people here. <laughs> it's you get mobbed It's mobbed with you know people with readers, enthused readers. It's yeah,
0: enthused readers and uh werewolves and vampires well
1: that's comic con (laughs) yeah
0: no i saw that i saw that at the book con (laughs) did you yeah there that seemed to be like the big attraction and i was like scratching my head
1: (laughs) yeah people want to be noticed
0: yeah well the romance the romance side i i had talked to a romance writer um earlier when I was learning how to do the interview stuff, if you will, and I'm still pretty shitty at it. I'm trying. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, you know, it's getting people disarmed enough and spending enough time with them so that you can find out about them is really what I try to drive for. It's just when I flip on the camera, everybody is totally different. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know how to get the conversation into their zone because it's not that you need empathy for anybody, but Understanding who people are builds trust. Seeing them in a video, talking about something with passion in their voice, acts like a magnet. And that's what I created my thing for. That's what this is is really for. I've been on your side and I've written three books, two nonfiction and one fiction. Because... News won't let you do fiction. That's why I wrote the nonfiction. My, my thing is I want to write stories and build a base. And I went for a different kind of base. And I got the niche. That's fine. It's just not that big of a niche. I, over, I overthought it.
1: <laughs> we all tend to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, you always, when you're on the outside, or you're on the inside, you think everybody is just like me. It's right. a it it is I, I see it especially with when I saw it with the the current environment of pandemic around where I'm at. My friends think that everybody around the United States is a situation of Connecticut and the people around us, and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. You guys need to get on a plane and go somewhere.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, in Anchorage, that's you go to Alaska. You got a different different type of. I, I remember going up a couple of years ago, When I was out on some fishing trip with my friend, and we met some other people at that night around a campfire, and they were like, "Where are you from?" And I said, "Oh, I'm from New York." And he turned and he goes, "New." He gave me like an ugly looking face, like New York. It's like, whoa what did I do? I mean he was so like offended by the fact that a New Yorker was sitting at his campfire. I was like, "I wish I had a witty line to come back <laughs> I was trying to after afterwards I was thinking what I should have said um and kicking myself, but yeah, that was a moment yeah,
0: well, the thing around your uh, I've used this joke before, but the thing that i'm I'm from around the area of the hillbillies. So for me to move up into upper society is a -hmm. different thing. But you know what the difference is between a Yankee and a hillbilly?
1: What's that? Not much. (laughs) 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 Well, for the hillbilly, I might say something.
0: A hillbilly doesn't care and a Yankee gets offended that um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, they get offended anyway.
1: (laughs) They live in offensive, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they live in the offense um so what do you um so you moved around a little bit and you said your kid lives up in Vermont what do they do they um have you ever taken them like once they're once they've been adults to your like trip stuff into Alaska and oh, yeah. your life?
1: Yeah, yeah, they've both been. I have two sons. My oldest one's been once, my youngest one's been several times. Um, yeah. And we have, you know, the the family that we visit up there has sons the same age as my sons. So, you know, it's a, a good connection. So when we were younger, you know, the boys matched up, you know, we matched up, so it was it was wonderful to to do that the vacation with them.
0: So yeah. They, they traveled yeah.
1: they did travel there with me when they were younger for sure.
0: Okay. And so you live the so you live the city life you're actually you're living in the city correct
1: I'm outside the city I'm in the, I'm in the suburbs in New Jersey
0: Okay but no is it New Jersey can be cityish or really lit? Well,
1: I'm in the suburbs I'm looking out right now at a reservoir with beautiful trees and the sun is you know setting over the trees um so it's quite nice um but I'm you know half an hour from Manhattan
0: Yeah no I I I like some parts of Jersey are kind of cool like that. So uh, um, Long Island going the other way and some of the Staten Island is.
1: uh, Yeah. It's crowded.
0: Yeah. It can be.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, When you were writing for contract, I would guess that's what you were doing before. Is that what you decided when you decided that you wanted to be a novelist?
1: I've always wanted to write. Um, novels that 's always been something I love the idea of of being a storyteller um, i 've searched you know for different creative outlets of my life i always found that very important to me to always be creative. I seeked out the creative in my work wherever I could um, but you know it was that 's fine I got a lot of a lot of satisfaction from doing that but it 's not the same as as writing um, you know the freedom of writing the freedom of just you know this pure and free creativity. Um, so that's why I really have, have loved it. It took. Uh, I had to get do a writing course to get started to get me, you know, learning the mechanics and and uh, you know how to make sure I, I communicate my story properly and the things that you need to know about the craft of writing. I still learn that today by I listen to a lot of, of famous writers talk about you know the craft. Um, especially a master class is wonderful. You got a bunch of writers there. Dan Brown has done a class. Neil Gaiman, um, David Mamet—I mean, I mean—wonderful writers are on there, and they talk for like fourteen hours about the craft. So I gobble that stuff up. Some other good books I've read about on the craft of fiction writing. Um, so that that helps, um, and uh, and I keep doing it. So yeah, um, it, it's been a wonderful uh, journey for me to 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 go down here, and I have books yet. I know in the pipeline that will be coming Um, so it's and it's not something I feel stressed out to do Um, whereas work is always you know anything you're doing for a living has always has a stress uh, element to it of course Um, the only stress I ever get from writing really is sitting on pins and needles waiting for reviews sometimes so that that's the one element of stress and sometimes if I get a review and I don't like that review I'll get annoyed, (laughs) but I let that go quick. You know, it's like for the moment, like, God, you just don't get it, do you? Um, But, you know, I get people have different opinions on different things. Not, listen, not everyone loves Star Wars, right? You know, so, um, or Star Trek or, you know, Gone with the Wind. I'm sure there's always critics um, so you have to that comes with uh, going out there and putting yourself out to the public and saying, you know, here I am. What do you think of me? You know, everyone's going to say, oh, you're so great. Some people's going to think you're not so great. So, yeah, that that that's the interesting part. But you know what that that anxiety or that uh, annoyance just goes away quickly because pretty soon around the corner, I'm going to get another. I'll get a good review, a five star review and someone will praise me and tell me how wonderful the story is. And that's also very nice. So, you know, I can't say that I'm not, uh, not with that ego. Um, I love hearing that type of stuff. Um, you know, I want people to respond positively to what I wrote. So uh, that's part of the joy of, of, of the writing, of hearing back the, the reviews and hearing back the comments of if people enjoyed the story. Or not. And that's, that's a wonderful thing as a writer to hear.
0: Marketing a podcast is different than marketing books in a sense.
1: Yeah, well, it isn't. It isn't. You know, the, the idea of marketing a podcast or marketing a book, uh, it's about creating awareness, right? right? Making sure that people know you exist. And how are how how are you going to do that? Um, you know, there's I don't know how many podcasts that there are, now there's going to be. There's a
0: of zillion, I, and it. I mean, the, when before the pandemic, I went into a um, into a staple store. And they had an end cap for podcasting. That mean, and Staples is always late. I mean, they're not they're a late to the
1: game, right? Yeah, of course. So you know, yeah, they're behind the, behind the trend. Yeah, the podcasting has gone crazy. Independent writing has also gone crazy. So there's, mm-hmm. there's millions of choices out there. And how are you going to cut through the clutter? How are you going to create awareness? How are people going to know that you exist, be it a podcast or a book? You know, you're creating something that people are going to consume as a product, as a medium, as information, not much different than what I'm creating. Yeah, uh, it's different, but it's still basically what it comes down to It's the same thing uh, in, in many, many ways. So, yeah, it's you have to be able to be a good communicator, get out there, cut through the clutter. Uh, it's always what, what's to me about marketing is there's no secret sauce to anything. You just got to keep trying things all the time, new things. It's that, oh, saying, throwing something against the wall and seeing what sticks. And then once you, something sticks, you better recognize it and, and use it. Um, because, you know, otherwise you're wasting opportunity. So, you know, that's to me what it's always all about. And, you know, as you throw things against the wall, that's basically saying you're taking a risk. So all that risk that you're taking, uh, trying to find out you know, how, how to promote yourself, how to create uh, so people know who you are, um, that's the risk you're taking. And that's, what it, that's what's involved um, to make sure you get known. And also, I'm a big believer in marketing that all your different endeavors need to inter- interlock, need to uh, have the same purpose. So, for example, if I'm doing a newsletter, Uh, About my book, I'm going to have a a link to my blog there um, that would take people to my website so I could also increase my website traffic. I'll have a call to action, perhaps a free download of my book uh, in exchange for a review. So I'm getting reviews by giving out my books for free. Um, you know, po- I'll promote podcasts uh, as, uh, on my books or on my Facebook to get people interested in, in hearing other things about what I'm doing. So yeah, everything has to be interrelated. And, and what the ultimate goal is one goal, of, of people being aware of who you are and, and, and consuming what you have to offer.
0: All right. So uh, thank you very much and uh, for uh, responding to me
1: pleasure
0: thank you thank you and you have a great evening i hope you enjoyed this program and obviously you did if you got to the very end i would appreciate it very much if you would share this podcast with other folks that you know out there and please please leave me a review on itunes i really need to know that you exist I really appreciate it, and I will be making another episode very shortly. Until then, adios.